Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and time to geostorm is five, four, three, two, dance. Geostorm! <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner. Remember the first time I had to bail you out? <laughs> Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of complex adaptive systems and ensemble forecasting. Today we'll be talking about Geostorm! <laughs> which is available on a variety of streaming platforms. I watched it on HBO Max. Dan? I did as well, yes. It is available on Sling. I know. I don't know where else. Next week we will wrap up Butler Vember, or Dan, as we say, Butler Vember! <laughs> thank you. With an actual good movie. Like a genuinely good movie. You have told me it is a genuinely good movie. I'm not going to lie on it. I'm now worried. Like I, I'm worried I've <laughs> built this movie up too much because I think it is a good movie. I, I think it's a mostly good movie. But like I will say this compared to the three we have done so far for Butler Vember, it is a better movie than all three of those that I am quite confident of. Yes. I believe that this movie has a 17% <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes, yes. which puts it above Gods of Egypt. <laughs> Wow. So, and it, it, it is. It is better than Gods of okay. Egypt. Okay, yeah, like, I suppose. Well, it's more, it is. there are a few more laugh out loud moments here. I don't think they're intentional, but they are a few laugh, yeah. more laugh out loud yeah. moments. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way I would put it, yes. Which actually There's does. There's less nakedness. There's less, like, <laughs> nakedness, but, but it's a better movie. Like, right. it depends on what you want. Right, like, exactly, really. yeah. Like, what makes a good movie, ba- a bad movie good for you? Is it. This is actually something we're... at it, or is it pretty people? Right, and this is something we're going to be talking Gods about. Because Gods of Egypt has prettier people in it. Yes. It has more no. attractive... God, yes. ...with showing more of their bodies. Yes. Yes. So and that it has sense. that going for it. Absolutely. This one does not have that, but, but it is weirdly more enjoyable, which we will get to. Yes. After we finish up Butler Vember, we are going to celebrate space giving. Yes. Spacegiving, which is something we started last year and we're going to keep doing as long as this podcast runs, in which we talk about the things we are thankful for in the past year in the genre, as it were, and also a few other things. And then after that, I believe we are going to talk Endor, which uh, is... So excited. Yes, which, let's put it this way, I assume for both of us is one of the things that belongs in Spacegiving. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely thankful for for Endor. And and I'm not going to lie... We were texting about it. This last episode was just so good. So good. I also the whiplash I suffered between watching Geostorm <laughs> and watching Andor was so massive it's it's hard to begin. Uh, but I wondered why your neck was in a brace. There we go. Yes, exactly. Also, if you haven't yet, maybe consider becoming a patron. Our Patreon page is patreon.com/spacethenation. Anna, what what are the whole perks and benefits of becoming a patron? Well, you know, there's the sort of intangibles, mm-hmm. like the feeling you get of knowing that you're supporting. <laughs> us which yes. is good you get that warm uh, glow inside it's true <laughs> we've, we've surveyed people and that that they all testify to the warm glow it's true and supporting alwyn's college fund oh yes of course uh and then there are uh, other things like early access to episodes and some special episodes we haven't I shouldn't say this, but we haven't done one in a while. But you will get special access to special episodes. Once we get to 250 patrons, and we're, I think, only about 40 away. So we're getting close. So, you know, yeah. So uh, you will get access to special episodes. Mm -hmm. Then we have AUAs. We do have AUAs. And in fact, the next AUA, I believe, will be on the weekend, 
in which you, the patrons, get to listen to this episode, but no one else does. So there you That's go. That's right. That's right. And then you also get merch. <laughs> For a while, this has been something of a long-running joke about capitalism to mm-hmm. say that people get merch, but we have now actually started down the road of or- physical, like, tangible merch. Right. Or to use academic jokes, this used to be a theoretical concept, and now we're going to have some empirics. <laughs> <laughs> like, we've seen designs, we've picked out a place to do them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all happening. It's all happening. All of that costs money. If you don't have that scratch lying around, there's stuff you can do to support us that doesn't involve cash, which would be to tell your friends and neighbors as well as rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to talk back to us, you can do that via the Patreon page. And you can also, well, actually, Dan, should we say we're on Twitter? I think it might last another week, although at this point, <laughs> God knows. It's it's really, there's sort of a fun kind of tweeting while the building is collapsing feel to, to this, much like in Geostorm, actually, much like Gerard Butler typing while the geostorm, you know, while the the, shuttle, yeah. the the space station is about, he to does collapse. some amazing typing. And His type work in this yes. is. I have to so admit, good. not the worst metaphor for what's going on in Twitter right now. But if you choose, and if Twitter is still standing, I am at Dan Dresner, and she is at Anna Marie Cox. And I have gotten on Mastodon, also, and I am currently the two feeds are echoing each other, uh-huh. like cross-posting to both. I am at Anna Marie Cox at journa.host. Dan, are you in Mastodon yet? I have created an account. I think I've done one entry. You should and m- link it to your Twitter. That's a I good will, way to like transition. I will do so. Um, I'm skeptical about Mastodon so far, but but I've created it, and next episode I will make sure that I know my handle. Well, it'll be an interesting experiment. Yes, yes. Speaking of trying things out, how are you, Dan? I'm pretty good. You know, uh, it's been. He's a... looking around his office. Well, he's trying to gauge his own internal temperature. So, okay, you know, I know you like to critique capitalism, um, but Anna, I'm pretty happy because we bought a new fridge. And <gasps> the... Well, I also like nice things. Yes, and <laughs> our old fridge had been dying a slow death in which various aspects of the fridge and freezer stopped working over like the last six months. And so like, I know this sounds banal, but just to have a water dispenser again on the fridge is so nice. Like I'm now at the point where like, I'm going to have some water and I'll just do it. It's, it's great. I know I like it's such simple things. Please me. I'm, I'm very easily pleased. Well, I was going to say there's not very many functions a refrigerator can have before it becomes useless. <laughs> really has just main one main the mon- one main one true which is true but it was cold, it was but... starting to break down like we were ha- okay. we had no ice we had no water we had like the vegetable bins weren't working it was it was really it was just bad how are you Anna? i'm pretty good uh it's been cooler here mm-hmm. and it's been warmer here interestingly enough so at some point i am mm-hmm. not gonna have anything that i need to attend to in my house <laughs> That's very optimistic of you to say, Anna, but I, I I share that hope. Yeah, I have. Um, I'm excited to maybe be able to use my fireplace this winter. I have a chimney sweep oh, coming good. tomorrow. Excellent. So, also, you hopefully know what? That I just happen. realized I've also been in a buoyantly good mood because we don't get political on this show a lot, but there were a lot of election deniers that were running for office, and 
the ones in the states where it really would have mattered lost, it seems, or mm-hmm. most of them have lost. And and that was actually a nice outcome. And I'm and I'm of, as with of that. this taping, things look okay in the Senate. Don't jinx it. <laughs> um there is I, I think we can say definitively even by the time people listen to this well unless you wait a while to listen to it uh, there's going to be a runoff in georgia which will be exciting is not the right word terrifying maybe that's the word i'm looking for i hate to say it entertaining like, is probably the right word because watching everyone go down there is going to be just i all i could say is i i feel a great swell of pity for the residents of georgia for having to watch commercials nonstop because at yeah. least here, because Massachusetts was close to New Hampshire, which was considered, you know, a, a, a close election, even though it wound up not being so just ad after ad after ad. It was actually very pleasant because Maura Healy, who was elected governor of Massachusetts, had yes, one ad. Massachusetts had, had had some great turnout right. and, and great um, uh, uh, results. But the great thing about the Healy, like the main Healy campaign ad was that it really wasn't negative. It was just this very corny cute ad um and it was just it was like a nice like refresher for 30 seconds before it would be go to like you know some negative ad yeah there were some bright spots like some genuine bright spots i am just gonna leave it there yeah. and not do yeah we my, need to go through yeah the things i would say if i was on like a panel about politics right so we'll just leave Which, it with there were some good things that happened yes yes there. all right we now get to the uh, section of the, the podcast where we talk about our previous experience with these films. And also, do we recommend to listeners that you watch this before listening to the podcast? Anna, what, what is your take on So my this? previous experience is, I think I've seen this. <laughs> <laughs> You're still not sure if you've seen I'm it. I'm not sure. I think, I mean, I think I've seen it twice, I should say. Mm-hmm. I, um, I have definitely seen it once, which was today. <laughs> <laughs> I think I may have seen it before. And I had the same experience with Gods of Egypt, which I think I may have seen before. But much like these movies are like Mercury. They just slide. (laughs) They just slide across your brain. And like, and after you watch them, like they start to disappear. Like you you start to forget that you ever saw it. And like Mercury, if you ingest them, it makes you dumber. So. So do you recommend watching it before listening to this? Before listening, I think you could enjoy our discussion without watching it. I would say if you really have nothing better to do. <laughs> Once again, Anna, you 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 know what? You just produce nonstop blurbs for the movie posters. <laughs> Geostorm, if you have nothing better to do, Anna Marie Cox. If you really have nothing better to do. I think that really is important. If you really have nothing better to do. <laughs> if you've watched all of the Great British Bake Off. If you have gotten to just the video of the fire place on Netflix, then maybe, maybe this is the thing. So It's weird because, like, it, it, it there are laughs, yeah. right? Like, we both laughed out loud. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Several times. Right. But it doesn't quite, and we're, I want to talk about this later, it doesn't yeah. quite reach... Like Moonfall, no, or it is not as Rain entertaining, of fire right? Or or levels. even twenty twelve or Day After Tomorrow, yeah, yeah, I would agree. Like as you know, I genuinely like Day After Tomorrow. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so I, my previous experience, I do know that I watched this before, and the reason I know I watched this before is that I watched it on an airplane, and I remember, like you know, I don't know about you, Anna, if I'm fl- traveling, an airplane movie has to meet certain criteria. Like I want to see something that does not require much thought that, you know, does not necessarily like, it's something that like, 
you know, much like airplane food, it can be consumed and there's a recognition this is just mediocrity. So big, dumb, and stupid is generally what I want in an airplane movie. And this did fit the bill, but I'm pretty sure I actually fell asleep watching this film, which is impressive given what had happened. You know, <laughs> given all the explosions. Yes. Like yes. Given all the death and destruction. Exactly. Yeah, I, I have a similar kind of bar for airplane movies. Although what I would say is I try to watch movies on airplanes that I wouldn't watch otherwise. Ah, fair enough. That's so, true. The sometimes other, I watch like romances. I confess the other prior experience I have with this is the How Did This Get Made podcast, which right. does a great episode of this, I believe, in which they just shout Geostorm randomly. But the thing I learned from listening to that podcast is that apparently... The producers of this film were not aware that there is a car called the Geo Store, which testifies to the laziness I think involved in the making of this film. And in, in when we get, we'll get to this, there is a qualitative difference between this film and the films like we discussed, like Moonfall and others. And it's not that Moonfall is good, but there's a difference that makes that more enjoyable and made this less enjoyable. There was entertainment here, but like this is not quite. As, as I think you said, Anna, it just misses the good, bad movie element or the yeah. so bad it's good element. Yeah, it, it it's so it's so bad. It's fun. It's so bad that like you can like kind of laugh with it more than at it, you know, like I think it's more laugh at it than laugh with it. But well, yeah, I know, so, yeah, but yeah. like Moonfall, I feel like Moonfall, I feel like one of the reasons why it's the greatest movie of 2022 <laughs> yes. is that. I feel like the spirit of Moonfall is incredibly generous. Like, yes. you are laughing with it. Yes, like, no, that's a fair, that's that's a good way of putting it. You yeah. know, it, it, it may take itself seriously, but it's like, if you have a friend that's like a cosplayer or something, <laughs> and the co- they take their cosplay very, very seriously, but if you make fun of them for it, they're kind of like, yeah, I know, it's a little ridiculous. And that is kind of like the Emmerich films. I think that's a, yeah, because it's not just Moonfall. I mean, that's 2012 and and all the others as well. Yeah, or, it's, it's it's they take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. He's doing it serious. He's doing the best he can. But if you point out some that's kind of ridiculous, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. This is just lazy, and we'll talk about this later. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's it there is there's not as much of a care for craft which is weird, like, comparing that to Moonfall. But, like, that is the actual difference. Moonfall is a... a it rid- is the work of an auteur. <laughs> yes, it's a ridiculously <laughs> stupid movie in a variety of ways. But I believe that the movie... I believe that Emmerich believed in the film in a way that yes. I don't think anyone involved in this film believed in this film. And justifiably so, I would say. But, like, it, as a result, it's not quite... It doesn't quite work. I don't know how to put it. I think they may have cut and pasted Ed Harris's role from another movie. <laughs> like they just I like the idea. Digitally removed him from some other Ed Harris movie. Oh god, do you think this was like Carrie Fisher in Return of in uh in, in episode 9 where it's like they just used the CGI Ed Harris? That that because would actually... it's indistinguishable from every other role. You know, where he's a bad guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, spoiler. Oh, I, way to go. I, you know, I, I can't believe you did that. Wow. Wow, Anna. There's a lot of mystery and intrigue about who the bad guy is. Who yeah, is, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, why don't we get to the story behind the story? Anna, as with all the Butler Vember films, we must ask, what was Gerard Butler's agent thinking? Was it that he was finally going to get to star in an Emmeresque disaster flick featuring one of Emmerich's co-screenwriters? Yes, Dean Devlin. Yes. Yes. 
Okay, I could answer that question. Mm-hmm. Or I actually can't. I mean, I, I actually <laughs> did some research about uh, Dory Butler's agent, and I did discover he's no longer at CAA. <laughs> Two years ago, he went and started. <laughs> he went and started his own creative endeavor. Wait, so, Gerard Butler, like, went on his own? No, in terms no, no, of, oh, his, oh, agent, oh, his agent. his agent left CAA okay. and, oh, like, started oh. his own, like, entertainment company. Oh, that's, that's much sadder. I I'd thought that Butler had finally found a new agent oh, no. because that would I, explain I, I a lot, actually. I think he's still at CAA, but it'll be interesting. Okay. I, I don't think he moved with him. Okay. Because I think it's like a production company. Oh, like okay. it's not, he's not going right. to be an agent anymore. Yeah. I will be interested to see if Gerard Butler's choices change. Yes, this is a valid question to ask. Yeah. But I have a much more important piece of information about this movie. It is, it is the Rosetta Stone. It, it unlocks it. It explains everything you need to know. Okay, do tell. This movie emerged from a conversation that Dean Devlin had with his nine-year-old. That tracks so well. <laughs> Who it, I think it's like, maybe an uncredited screenwriter. Oh my god, that's like <laughs> that's like the puzzle piece. Finally, that's like finally getting the kill codes. I suddenly it is like a, it's like the biometric kill codes. Yes, it's like it's like getting the biometric kill codes mm. of the nine year old. Yes, yes, <laughs> yep. Okay, the nine year old is the kill code. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Oh. Oh, listeners. Oh, dear. Nine-year-old is the kill cult. Yeah. That, I don't think you need to explain anything else. I mean, that that does pretty much encapsulate the... Whatever questions you had about this movie, Yep. it came from a conversation he had with his nine-year-old. Okay. (laughs) Who actually has a cameo in the film, too. Oh, well, good for the nine-year-old for that. I mean, you know. And I believe she's actually a working actress now. Oh, Although she's a teen, so... Okay. She, sure she doesn't play Gerard understand. Butler's daughter, though. I'm assuming she does not. Good. Okay. Uh, she's would be too young because she's not 13. Except uh, the actress. Mark, but by the way, 13. <laughs> just to be clear, I'm not sure the actress in the movie looked 13 either. But that's a whole separate conversation, and yeah, we don't need <laughs> to go. There. Yeah. Hand wave. Yeah. Hand wave. Okay. Okay. Chekhov's what's it, Dan? What do you got? <laughs> Anna, I have Chekhov's secret code. Mm. which is the dumbest fucking code in history. Um, but they mention it in the beginning and then use it later, although you didn't need a hacker to figure it out. And even the hacker points that out, to, to be fair. Like, <laughs> I, lo- I love that. I love that the hacker's like, this is a terrible code. Yes, yes. I will say, that is one... And he's like, well, I was 12, okay? Right. That is one interesting <laughs> thing about this movie, at least in terms of the screenwriters, which is the screenwriters <laughs> seem to frequently cop to the fact that they have come up with dumb ideas in the film. So, you know, maybe it's the, like, nine-year-old in it. I don't know. It's just, it's fascinating. Um, I agree. It's a very strange, it's a very strange tick. And I, yes. I'm going to talk about other ones. Yeah, there, there are moments should. where, like, characters seem to say, yeah, this is dumb. Yes, but, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just amazing. So I was saying, fire that secret code two times, because it's what I picked as well. <laughs> yes. And then I actually tried to make my response. I was going to make my response a version of the code where oh, I said, like, oh. two times oh. I coded, oh. you know, whatever. Like, yeah, it would yeah, involve yeah. weirdly enunciating right. the... <laughs> You have to like do McConaughey speak in order to be able to to make that clear to those (laughs) who don't know the code. But yeah, 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 fair enough. But we should talk about the plot. (sighs) Should we? Should we, Anna? But okay, I, 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 
I, I did work on, on doing this, and I want to be clear that, Anna, I've taken your guidance that you have pointed out before, that there are times where I am giving the plot more coherence than actually exists, and I didn't put as much effort into this plot recap oh, good. as the other Dan, one. So I, I just like want that. You to know. I mean, yes. Yes. You okay. know. Let's... I, I, mean, so I very rarely tell people to, like, you know, wing it or, like... <laughs> Do a half-assed job. That's actually one of my mottos sometimes, is do a half-assed job. When in doubt, do a half-assed job. All right, let's get to act one, the dumbest exposition ever. In a voiceover narration that provides the first hint at this film's stupidity, we learned that in 2019, the weather was bad, 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 like the day after tomorrow kind of bad. So the United States and China lead a 17-nation consortium to build a system of climate-controlling satellites. <laughs> I'm already laughing, Dan. Yes, I know. Called Dutch Boy. I don't know how many times Dutch Boy is actually said in this film, but it's said a lot. To control the weather. It's all run by Jake Lawson, the gruff chief, and I'm being generous there, who oversaw the 600-person international crew to build the International Climate Space Station, ICSS, and run it. In the country's fastest oversight hearing ever recorded, Jake runs afoul of a senator and is fired. Uh, the person to replace him, his younger brother, Max, who is also an assistant secretary of something or other. I refuse to devote more attention to the verisimilitude of this plot than the screenwriters on him. I'm just going to observe that he's the assistant secretary of a Death Cab for Cutie cover band. <laughs> because his haircut is like... <laughs> distractingly hip i mean hip it's messy it's like one of those things like yeah the boys i had crushes on in high school had hair like that oh like okay well good for Jim it was it's a very good haircut for like a rebellious 15 year old right and it it is not such a great haircut (laughs) for someone who actually still looks kind of 12 but Anyway, three years later, and you're not going to believe it, Anna, but there are problems with Dutch Boy. A village in Afghanistan is flash frozen. An airlock in the ICSS just opens by itself. Hong Kong streets are superheated. And this is all so awkward because the U.S. is set to hand over control of Dutch Boy to an international oversight board. To get to the bottom of this, Max advises President Palma to send a team up to the ICSS. Secretary of State Deckham recommends Jake. Max goes to Florida to coax Jake into participating, which leads to a lot of brotherly bickering that I'm not going to get into. Anna, we're going to dive into the really dumb parts of this film for the entire rest of this podcast. But I will confess to one thing about that opening that actually made me sad rather than than just laugh out loud funny, which was the film's ham-handed faith in multilateralism. There's a lot of references to the International Consortium. I mean, I don't know how many times they keep talking about, do you know how hard it was to get these countries to get you know work together and so on and so forth? the U.S. and China working together, which was possible, maybe. You know, it it sort of demonstrates how even in five years since this movie has been released, how times have changed. Um, The film also tries to show the flags of all the different countries, presuming they work together. I actually did kind of like that. But it's all legitimately depressing now because this was risable in 2014 when it was filmed and even more risable in 2017 when the film was released. It seems laughable now. Yes. I cut and pasted what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> which, which is priceless. Yes. <laughs> which is simply led by US and China. LOL. <laughs> yeah. Which would require there to be Chinese people somewhere in this film. There's one character who's not really Chinese as near as I can figure out. He goes to college with masks. No one else in the space station is Chinese. It's bizarre. 
It is a very strange kind of picture of international relations. Mm-hmm. Um, not racist exactly, but just no. kind of idealistic to the point of being dumb. Yeah. Is that what I, we want to say? It, or like, let me put it this way. I can p- picture the producer saying, okay, we need to have a European, we need to have an African, we need to have a Latin, like, you know, just like do, yeah, the, you know. Yeah, as but though like, those are countries, by right, the way. exactly, Like being yes. like, we need someone from Latin, the, the, the yeah. country of Latin America. Yes, and the country of Africa. <laughs> Let's make sure we have someone from Africa there. Okay, then we're good. All right, we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I guess that's where we begin, because otherwise, <laughs> where would we begin? There is so much stupid shit in this movie <laughs> that... I kind of want to talk about it for hours and hours. Yeah. But it's all really weirdly small. That's that's a, that's one of the reasons I think that this movie fails to be a good bad movie is that a lot of the stupid stuff is just stupid on a on a micro level. Right. It's like you know? it's I mean, let me put this way. It's just I, annoyingly stupid. Yes. Like, it's not the moon falling from the sky. No. It's like, the that's dumb, a big swing. Right. It's the dumb <laughs> stuff like characters saying things to each other that if was actually real no one would say those words because the other character would know it already like yeah. you know it, it like the number of times that happens in this film is extraordinary but so i want to actually lay out what i think is the biggest problem yes believe it or not the biggest problem in this movie mm-hmm. which is gerard butler's character is an asshole oh god yes just an unpleasant person i'm yes. not he's not like a wise guy no. you know who, who who cracks jokes he's not like a smart when things I, he, are tense i don't think he makes a single joke in this film actually i could be wrong he's but. just a dick yeah <laughs> like he's just an awful person yeah. when he when they have this senate hearing which is apparently in an atrium by the way <laughs> like it's yeah. very strange but, he actually sort of gives this monologue about how he's an awesome manager <laughs> and he's the one who should be taking credit for stuff yeah like it, it's not like we're so, it's almost like Brechtian like it's almost like subverting the idea of the anti-hero even because like when you have someone come in to do that kind of speech usually in the trope of like the Senate hearing with the uh, anti-authoritarian scientist or the person who's going to stand up to big government whatever like usually that person is kind of humble right right and like their response to big government is like, you should let the little guy, you know, you should, this is a team effort and we should be able to do this with whatever. And he's just a dick. He's just like a bad person. And I, there were times I didn't want to spend time with him. Yes. And no, 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 he's not a pleasant character. His brother is not really a pleasant character. They're the two protagonists. And then there's the third, we'll, we'll get to, we'll get, we'll get to the other characters. The other thing, like, you're right. There's a lot of small things to pick, but I, I do have to say this. The movie literally opens with the senator convening the hearing, complaining that Jake is late by an hour. And Jake's response is, well, I'm sorry, I flew in from space. And Dick! I, you know, first of all, it's a dick comment. But second of all, I'm like, is there a spaceport in D.C.? Otherwise, like, why would the hour, like, it didn't make any sense to me. Like, why would that be the reason he's late for moving? And, like, you know? he's, it's like, is it a joke? I mean, people kind of laugh, but he's, like, wearing a suit. Like, it'd be kind of funny. Without a tie, like, though. Wearing, like, I, yeah, again. Like, it, a space suit. Like, I just got in from outer space. Right. Like, you know. But also, like. Boy, are my, my arms tired. Like, this is like, supposed to be an endearing <laughs> thing about the character, which is he shows up without a tie and has to borrow a tie from, like, a guard. But again, this is a really nitpicky thing, but like you know, if you're going to testify before Congress, and I'm sure he has had to do this before, you wear a freaking tie, it's or just, don't. Yes, like or, fine, yeah, right? Don't exactly. wear a tie, but don't like, don't like think. Oh, I don't need a tie. Oh, whoop! I forgot my tie. Like, 
you know, it doesn't show him to be a, a, I think it's supposed to indicate that, like, he doesn't care about such niceties. It actually just reveals him to be an idiot. And that's the real yeah, problem. He seems like an idiot and a dick. And, yep. like, why does anyone want to spend time with him? Yep. I don't want to spend time with him. Like, he's the biggest problem in the movie in a way. Yep. Because, like, he's such an unpleasant character. Yep. That it's really hard to care about him. Yes, <laughs> it is. Very and he's also, hard to care. again, it wasn't just that he's a dick. He's also bad at his job, which we will get to yes. right now yes. in, on Act 2. Yes. All right, Act 2. Act 2, dumbest conspiracy ever. Jake heads to the ICSS and meets his international team. The meeting seems to consist of five minutes of everyone insulting each other. They try to examine the Afghanistan satellite, but the robot arm holding it goes mysteriously haywire. So does Jake's spacesuit when he goes for the spacewalk to retrieve another piece of evidence. Seems fishy. Fishy enough for Jake to hide some evidence that he's pilfered and to warn his brother Max through, as we said before, the world's dumbest fucking code imaginable that a conspiracy is afoot. Meanwhile, on Earth, Max's old college buddy Cheng from Hong Kong, who works at the Pacific Climate Command, gets in touch and says that someone is mucking around with the weather satellites, and that explains what happened in Hong Kong. He also warns Mask that if the satellites can be weaponized, that could lead to a cascade of extreme weather that would trigger, say it, Anna, Geostorm! <laughs> I will say, Which, I... Okay. Yep. I was disappointed when I initially saw this, saw that this movie was coming out. And I saw the name. I was disappointed. I assumed that Geostorm would have like to do with rocks. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining granite. Damn it! <laughs> Geostorm. <laughs> Which is, I mean, now I kind of want to see a movie where it's like that could be Magnolia too. Um, yeah. a, that, that would be the way to handle that, yes. That's a geostorm. That anyway, is a geode storm. They, oh, that's good. That's good. Well done. Well played. <laughs> After some suits break into Chang's office, he hightails it to D.C. to meet with Max and his girlfriend, Secret Service agent Sarah Wilson. A bad guy pushes him into the road, however, within sight of the Secret Service agent, and Chang's last word is Rosebud. I'm sorry, I mean Zeus. Anna... This film is so many levels of dumb, but I do think the central problem, in addition to Jake being an asshole, is that the main characters constantly say their character traits and then fail to act in a manner that is believable in any way whatsoever. So as we said, Jake is supposed to be in charge of something, like he's supposed to be running all of this, and demonstrates zero leadership or people skills. His ICSS team acts like they have no clue who he is and vice versa, which again, makes zero sense. He said literally in the hearing, I knew all 600 faces of who worked for me. They're not going to completely turned over in, you know, three years. That, that, it just doesn't work. In the conversation that takes place in the first part with his daughter, his daughter talks and acts like no 13-year-old girl I have ever heard or seen before. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Jake and Max describe an older brother, younger brother dynamic that does not exist. <laughs> it's like, you know how the younger brother is always the responsible one and the older brother is the scrub. No, that's not how it works. Like, it, it like, I, no. I love, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's all so that. bad, Anna. It's so, so bad. Yeah, I mean, the... 13-year-old girl is, like, the only piece of evidence against this movie being written by a (laughs) (laughs) 9-year-old. 
Although, yes. here's a theory. Uh-huh. That is how a nine-year-old would think a 13-year-old would talk. That's what I'm thinking. Yes. It's like, oh, it's well, she's a grown-up too. Because so we'll she's like a that. grown-up. Yes. She's 13. Yes, so exactly. She talks the same as a 26-year-old. Right. Yes. Right. All right. So I wasn't crazy so, in thinking that. Okay, great. Right. Yes. So one of my loudest literal LOLs <laughs> was when the German lady, Ute. 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 I think. Ute. Yes. yes. Like introduces him, to his, introduces him to his team and they randomly insult him. Mm-hmm. Until she reveals, this is Jake Lawson and psych, right? Like, woohoo. <laughs> yes. Like, you, y'all were making fun of him, but he's right. Jake Lawson. It's on his uniform, Dan. <laughs> Not to mention, like, who holds a I meeting? I mean, also, they would know. They yeah, would they would know. Because he's like, totally famous. Like, the fucking security guard at right. the quote-unquote Senate hearing. Recognizes him. Yeah, exactly. Recognizes him. Also, what are you going to do? Oh, by the way, we're convening a meeting. There's going to be a special guest star. We're not going to tell you who it is. <laughs> Just show up for the meeting. There's going to be a mystery guest. <laughs> right. Like, the, the, one of the premises of this entire film is that no one ever reads any memo ever, which I confess is consistent with the laziness of the plot. But, like, it, it just it, – it's so bad in that way. Yeah. Uh, there's also a scene in which – this is just always – this is a bad – sign in a movie in general where the politicians are sitting around arguing about what to do and someone's like we can't play politics with this people's (laughs) lives are at stake yes like that i mean i don't think that's ever happened in the history of actual politics (laughs) no not to my knowledge because, and this is a pet peeve, of my, pet peeve of mine, you can't do things outside of politics. Right. Like, it is politics to have people's lives at risk. Yes. Like, that is a political consideration. <laughs> you know? It is also I politi- mean, it's also a moral yeah. consideration. It's a moral yeah. consideration, but moral, moral considerations and political considerations are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyway, so that's Max is like, we can't, we can't play politics with people's lives. No, that is what politics is. It is, it is people's lives. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know if I even want to go here. Like, this is like, where do you, if you start with the, this picky and bullshit, like, where do you stop? Sarah Wilson, worst Secret Service agent in the history of all time. Oh, my God. No, like, like, and know. I'm counting those Secret Service agents that got drunk and had prostitutes in, like, Sao Paulo or wherever. I was thinking like, as I was watching this film, I was like, oh, you know what? This is a really clever meta take on how bad the Secret Service was, like, <laughs> turned out to be. Of course, this all happened mostly at before, you know, the film came out before this. It was like, now you see the rot at the center of the secret service on it yeah well except apparently there's only one secret service agent and her name is <laughs> sarah wilson so you can't really complain about this whole like community or like the culture of the secret service because there's just the one mm-hmm. because she's the one who gets called all the time like when she has I, there's like the scene where she's like oh i have to work and like she's called in from to the white house because yeah. he's giving a press conference as though there's no other secret right service there's no such thing as rotations or like yeah like like yeah it's just her. anyone who's ever seen in the line of fire is like I don't recognize this Secret Service, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. also, the Secret Service is not the Buckingham Palace Guard. <laughs> yes. There right. is a scene. <laughs> True. Where, like, oh, that's Max, right. like, tries to make her laugh or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's... And she's like, I can't laugh on duty or whatever. <laughs> like, Well, also, apparently, Anna, she can't date anyone, which, again, oh, doesn't make any sense. Like, that's not how this okay, works. as someone who's, who's covered presidential... <laughs> Travel. Yes, yes, do tell, Anna. Oh, there is dating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there is. There is a saying, in fact, mm-hmm. wheels go up, rings come off. Oof. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. And in fact, I was doing, I wanted to just make sure that, like, that 
I wasn't imagining things about this being at least a, a thing that people talk about. Mm-hmm. And I found out there's a rumor, Dan, that Don Jr.'s wife had an affair with a Secret Service agent. Oh, God. Uh. <laughs> well, I'm assuming the Secret Service agent had slightly less coke in his system, so that would make sense. Yes. Fair yes, enough. right. He passed the drug test that Don Jr. failed. <laughs> yes, yes. Right. So I don't know what else to say about her except she... Oh, wait, no, sorry. The other thing I have to say about her mm-hmm. is that it's too bad there's only one Secret Service agent because she's terrible at her job. She is <laughs> awful at her job. And we're going to get to this in, in in a bit. But, like, yes, like, she... Like, I, I kept saying, no, don't do this. What are you doing? Like, it's just abysmal. Well, it's in one of the ways that the characters keep saying what their character trait is and then right. not doing that yeah. she keeps saying i follow the way i gotta follow the rules gotta right. follow the rules gotta follow the rules and then she very very easily breaks them and then just like with the slightest push of a finger she she is a pushover right yeah. like yeah she's the, my favorite one mm-hmm. is she says to max you're soliciting a secret service agent to break into the white house server which no secret service agent would actually have access to but yeah, keep going this is like yeah. levels of ridiculousness yeah. right yeah. like Mm-hmm. Why would you ask us? The first problem is for Max, which is why would you ask a Secret Service agent to right. break into the White House server? Then yeah. there's the White House server. That's not a thing. Mm-hmm. That's not like a thing that happens. And then she just does. Yeah. She. He's like, he goes, he actually says just this one time. <laughs> <laughs> which... Which it isn't, and you know it's not, and like it, it's. Oh and also, yes. even if it was just the one time, yeah, that's still pretty bad. No, it's it's <laughs> fireable. Yeah, no, no, no. It's it. Well, let's get to that actually right now. Okay. So All right. let's get to Act Three. Is it over yet? Nope. There's still half a movie. Damn you, Tio Storm. Max's cybersecurity friend Dana searches for a Project Zeus and finds it exists only on that mystical White House server. Max convinces Sarah to give him access to that because. Actually, I think the actual sentence he says in the movie is, I'm asking. He also says just once, I swear. Okay. He says just once. Anywho, they crack it and well, just... Well, that's, and that's two powerful arguments, Dan. That's two powerful <laughs> That's not just one powerful argument. That's two. How could she say no? I mean, she's she's only... She's, she's not made of stone, Anna. You know? Yeah. She's, she's flesh no, and although blood. Although her acting suggests oh, otherwise. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Anyway... They discover lots of simulations of extreme weather. Sounds bad. Max and Jake talk, and Jake thinks the president might be responsible. Max convinces Sarah to help him get on Air Force One. So we're now just twice on this. As the president heads to Orlando for the Democratic National Convention. Max will try to obtain the kill codes from the president for Dutch Boy, allowing them to reboot the software. I think he was originally supposed to get them while the president was in the shower, although that yes, doesn't yes, go yes, anywhere. Was, I was like so looking forward to that scene. That that goes nowhere. It's like said out loud, and I don't know why it, it, it never comes up but again. Imagine like in a better movie, yeah. like an intentionally funny movie. That w- they, like, they could have they actually done something with that. Yes, yeah. I agree. All right. <laughs> Meanwhile, in space, the ICSS command center has been sabotaged, and the satellites are wreaking freaky weather on the ground. Jake tries to stop it by smashing satellites into each other, but someone triggers the self-destruct on the station. Turns out to be someone on Jake's team investigating the sabotage. Back on Earth, Max spills the beans to Deckham, but Secretary of State Deckham turns out to be the bad guy and tries to kill him. Max tells Sarah, and the two of them kidnap Palma in the, again, the dumbest, 
most inept kidnapping ever to protect him from Deckham's agents and secure the kill code. And by the way, Anna, in case you didn't know, the president is the, the kill code. Is the kill code. Which yeah. I refuse to believe that the person in charge of the whole satellite stuff wouldn't know that already. But there we are. Um, Anna, can we agree that Deckham's plot, which is, I believe, to kill everyone ahead of him in the line of presidential succession, makes zero sense. Also, why is he even down in Orlando if there's supposed to be an extreme weather event in Orlando that will kill everyone? Like, that doesn't make any sense either. I, I mean, I think it's sloppy plotting like this that leads me to understand why I actually enjoyed this movie less than any of the Amory Carey films we did. And I think it's, as we said before, I think it's because Emmerich believes in this shit in a way that Dean Devlin clearly does not believe in this film. Okay. Yes. Taking your questions in order. <laughs> His plot makes zero sense. Okay. I agree. Yeah. It would have been better to do it during the State of the Union, which yes. is such an interesting idea. It's been explored before. Right. right? Multiple times. Admittedly, <laughs> that, would, times. that would have been somewhat derivative, but at least that makes a little more sense. Yes. Yes. <laughs> As someone who's covered multiple Democratic National Conventions, <laughs> there's a few things about this that struck me as funny. One is it's not this. It's not like that's not where all of the cabinet goes. Like that's no, just not. The Secretary of State actually is not supposed to go there. I mean, yeah, Mike Pompeo exactly. made a huge. Exactly. It's supposed. It's yeah. a political event. Uh -huh. So a lot of the people who are supposedly kind of supposed to be working mm -hmm. for the country don't go. Aren't going to go. Right. Mike Pompeo, there was a big controversy because Pompeo actually gave a political speech. He did it from, I think, Jerusalem. But like <laughs> mo most people agreed that, that was a no-no and he crossed the line there. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. And then there's also, it's it's really weirdly sparsely populated too. <laughs> like, which is a, a thing that I notice in this film generally, yeah. which is there's just not a lot of people in it. Right. Like, yes, there are crowd scenes, and I do think this movie might have the highest body count of any movie we've watched. Except, okay, I think 2012, 2012, 2012 probably 2012. has more. But, but the, by Next the way, to 2012. Yeah, but it's an interesting comparison because in 2012, you you never get this, you do believe the crowd scenes. You do believe yeah. there are lots of people. And, I, you know, maybe that's the other difference is that Emmerich just has more money to play with. I don't know how, you know. I don't know. It just seemed weird. Like, they, it seemed, there's the fact that the Senate hearing looked like it was in an atrium, right? <laughs> yeah. And then there's the fact that this arena where the DNC is supposed to be is like barely it has hardly any people in it. No, it looks right? like it looks like the last act of the spine of, of this is Spinal Tap. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it, it looks it looks like Max's Death Cab for Cutie cover band. Yes, there we go. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and I did laugh. I some of the laugh out louds came here though when mm. they planned to kidnap the president. Oh, and yeah. she just takes him through the hallway yes. and, like, has oh, him duck out the side door. That was priceless. You see him, like, oh, yeah, they just take him out. Like, no, no one notices it's him. There's no one who's calling. Like, you know, he just manages to pull that. She just manages to pull that off. It makes no sense. Absolutely again, none. I guess yeah. she's very lucky. There, there, she's just the one Secret Service agent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Because the reason that can't happen in real life, among other things, mm -hmm. is that there's, like, 20 of them. Right. No, th th this was how you could tell it was a cheap movie. There's a moment where, like, she fires her gun into a crowded. Oh. Don't get me started on Not that. Not so crowded. But like, yeah. But, Not like, so crowded. We've all seen the scenes, like, and again, this has been done many times, where like when that happens, there's like a phalanx of Secret Service agents who converge on the president and rush him out. In this movie, there's two of them, I think. 
you know, and like one of them like doesn't even have a line, as you say, like it's just it's just Sarah. So like he goes away, and they're like, oh okay, just one agent left. Sure, totally believable. It just it's and yeah. It, it, maybe this is a cheap movie. Yeah. I, I I think it was like a um, hundred and thirty million. That's not cheap. No, then mm-hmm. I want to know what they spent the money on, and maybe the nine-year-old was in charge Ed of the Harris, budget. Andy Garcia. I guess, yeah. Mayor Whittingham for a scene, which makes no sense. Mayor Whittingham for one scene. For one scene, I think she has like two lines of dialogue. Maybe it, Again, it, I am there assuming... Are, there are good actors doing terrible work. Oh, such bad work. <laughs> this movie. Such bad work. I mean, I actually thought Andy Garcia was fine. He's got bad dialogue, but like, yeah, Ed Harris is mailing it in. So many people are mailing it. It's, it's just yeah. not good. All right, let's get to the act four. The important thing is that a dog was saved. Max, Sarah, and President Palma escape from the Orlando arena just before a lightning storm explodes it in laughable fashion. I uh, this was yeah they didn't spend money on the effects that is for sure. No, and this is I will say this is the moment where I did start laughing a lot more because this is where it really does get to be the so absurd. I really laughed at it, uh, aspect of this. Uh, Max explains the plot of the film to Palma, who in an impressive act of credulity, totally believes him despite the fact that he's been kidnapped. Sarah kills a lot of bad guys while driving. By the way, I'm just going to point out, Sarah and Max seem really turned on when the other one is violent, and that's going to be an interesting marriage. Just going to leave that there. Don't kink shame. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough, yeah. The trio capture Deckham and then hightail it to NASA to give Jake the kill codes because Anna, the president, is the president kill is the kill code. <laughs> we heard that so many times. While the rest of the I, cr- I think that should yeah. maybe be on our merch. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find, we'll find a way to This is a terrible movie, and I don't know if this will be one of our signature episodes, but the line, the president is the kill code, the president is, is the kill so code. good. It is, it is. <laughs> That's that. That's that. That is. Or maybe the that line is, on the T-shirt should be the nine-year-old is the kill code. <laughs> I will say the president is the kill code is moonfall worthy. That's the way. I would put that. Yes, yes, I agree. That's, I that's agree. where it that starts. That is a line that is good enough. It should have been, or <laughs> yes. bad enough. It okay. should have been in moonfall. <laughs> With the rest of the ICSS crew evacuated, Jake stays behind to reboot the system. Uta, Jake's replacement, also stays behind. <laughs> I but, know that's a name, but it just makes me laugh. I know. So, Uta. Uta also stays behind, but surprises him with this fact because no one is good at communication in this film. They eliminate the virus and transfer satellite control back to NASA, raising the question of why they didn't do that in the first place. That seems like it really would have been the smart move. But then there would have been no geostorm for us on it. Jake and Uta escape in a replacement satellite. They use the replacement satellite's thrusters to send an SOS, which of course works. A shuttle picks them up, and the film ends with Dutch Boy under international control and Jake back in charge. Anna, <laughs> Yelling at people yeah, again, yeah. probably. <laughs> Anna, the last 20 minutes of this film, I did start laughing out loud. I, I the, the funniest, the, the biggest laugh I got is that when... Jake and Uta are finally, like, land with the shuttle. You know, of course, it's on NASA, so Sarah and Max and the president are there. The first line anyone says is Sarah going, Hi, Jake. I'm Sarah, Max's fiance." <laughs> Which, what, I just... Cause, with cause all the enthusiasm that line deserves. <laughs> <laughs> there was a montage of scenes and individuals during this stretch including not one, but two shots of people running on the beach that seem like what I would describe it as the music video for, like, if uh, the incredible thought song from Popstar, like, you could rewrite that song in the final act of Geostorm. Like, you know, 
a skyscraper leaning on its at, you know side, you know. <laughs> <laughs> a dog taking okay, care so of a boy. A little bit know. of my singing and a little bit of you like kind of rapping yeah. in this episode. So yeah. it's excellent. Oh god, people, for people keeping score. <laughs> but like the dog that we're suddenly supposed to care about. Uh, now, did we see that dog in danger? Because I think we didn't. Right? I don't remember seeing that dog, and I, so I'm glad you confirmed that because I would assume you would have noticed the dog. It like otherwise, I would have. yeah, exactly. So like, I mean, I'm glad the dog is safe. Sure. Right, but it's shot in such a way that we're supposed to leave. Oh, thank God, the dog made it. And I'm like, I've never seen that dog before. Why would I care about that dog? <laughs> that dog is a stranger to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I so this does get to one of the more interesting aspects of the film, as we said. the The whole plot is premised on the idea that like. Everything we've heard from these characters, it turns out they were set up to fail, I think is the key phrase. <laughs> uh, which makes me wonder whether the screenwriters, like, we've been thinking that it's a nine-year-old. I wonder if it's a Straussian. Because <laughs> I'm wondering if there are hidden messages. Is there a code in the screenplay? Because the last conversation in this film, which is about fishing, I think the screenwriter was fessing up on it. Because this is how this conversation goes. This sucks. This is so boring. I can't do this for another second. Why do you make us do this in the first place? <laughs> Anna, I think that was a cry for, for help from the screenwriter. That is my theory, and I'm sticking with it. I love that. <laughs> uh, I do think the line that I laughed the hardest at yes. was Max saying, and I also I meant to say this earlier, Max, I, I don't know the name of the actor. I don't Jim care. Jim Sturgis, yeah. <laughs> Everything he says is kind of breathless and urgent. I for some like everything. Yeah, you know it, it all loses meaning. But he did. He does kind of amp it up just a little bit at the end, where he exclaims, "He hired us to fail." <laughs> but I'm like, "Yeah, truth will out, buddy." <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like both on a meta level, mm-hmm. right? Maybe Death, that was Jim Sturgis's confession. Yes, I, I'm now realizing the brilliant Straussian level of this of this screenplay. And, and listeners, for those of you who don't know, the idea of Straussian interpretations of political theory is that you know there's often hidden levels of meaning inside you know whatever's being written. That there's actually a secret message. I'm beginning to realize that this entire screenplay was written in code and the actors are are in on the, the joke. They're all complaining that they're being set up to fail. Right. I mean, so there's he hired us to fail is also funny just in the context of the movie mm-hmm. because it's like he knew we'd be terrible. He knew we we're incompetent. He knew it. I can't believe it. But on in, in on the to support the idea that there's some kind of Straussian meta communication happening, yes. I also want to point to a moment in the movie where there is a computer screen that says self-destruct <laughs> self-destruct sequence successful. <laughs> That's right, I forgot the self-destruct Which is like a cone, Dan. <laughs> like on what how would a computer display the message that its self-destruct sequence was successful? Well also the self-destruct sequence makes no goddamn sense. Like, oh no no. I mean a little bit of credit to the movie. There is a scene where he says, he talks, Jared Butler mentions the self-destruct sequence and someone says, like, you won in every movie. Why mm-hmm. is there a self-destruct sequence? Mm-hmm. 
And he says, in case it falls to the oh, earth. Oh, no, no, no. That part made sense. It's not that the fact oh. that there's a... No, sorry, to be clear. It's not that there's a self-destruct sequence. That made sense. That was actually fair. Oh, okay. It's that the self-destruct sequence lasts 20 minutes in which they blow different parts of the space station at different times. And, like, it takes forever for it to happen. That made no sense yeah. to me. Sorry. Sorry, I'm... <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to correct myself because I the movie does slide over your brain like Mercury. Mm-hmm. So actually, what the computer screen says is oh. actually a little bit better. Oh, okay. What is this? Self destruct complete. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's a logic pretzel there. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Where does a computer display the message self destruct complete? <laughs> I. Yeah. I don't. I got nothing. And I then there's the line. How many times do I have to tell you, never listen to me? <laughs> Wait, was that actually said out loud? I forgot yeah. that. <laughs> Who That's says that? That's what Jake says to Max at the end. Oh, gosh. Oh, How Lord. many times do I have to tell you, never listen to me? <laughs> that is the sound of one hand clapping, Dan. Wow. <laughs> there are some Zen koans in this. In this. It's, it, you know, I'm, I'm now appreciating the screenplay on a whole new level. I uh, but is, if we're going to talk about this terrible dialogue, though, there's one more piece I have to... Yes get to it climactic or whatever not climactic actually anticlimactic scene yeah i believe it's with you know what you skipped over the brit guy <laughs> who's the villain i i did because again i don't care about the plot he's not the villain much. who's actually a flunky and dies like five minutes after we find out he's the villain right but and i he's, believe he's it's in, in that the, scene yeah, he's in the umbrella where, academy that's where uh he was also where yeah. jared butler announces the stakes <laughs> yes millions of people are going to die and one of them is my daughter <laughs> how is that not a tagline for the film i yeah yeah the british guy like i i honestly don't want to mention anyone else on the icss team because none of them are actual characters they're just like brit guy mexican guy or no latin american guy african <laughs> lady you know fake out like sinister guy who's supposed to squint but he turns out he's the good guy you know it's just it yeah yeah the, it, it's the french guy who looks kind of suspicious but then turns out to be the good guy right the french oh, guy who's but, like oh go ahead but also the french guy who's been staking out the locker room for five days like he says at one point when they go into the right lo- like yeah. i don't know why i'm but whatever you're, you're trying point, to hammer reason into the screenplay on and I think At one point, they to go to the locker float. to like find a thing, and they think the French guy is bad because he has a gun on him. But then he's like, "No, I was waiting for someone fi- else to figure it out." <laughs> like, so he was just like waiting in the locker room. Like, yeah, it made I no don't sense. Know. I, I, I mean, I just whatever. Like I said, it's not even a funny nitpick. Like, there's just so much shit that just like is stupid and like bad, yeah, yeah. and not laughable, just dumb. No, no. Although I, I did also laugh at the very end when. Jake tells his daughter, you know, I'm coming back. And his daughter says, I know. And I'm like, <laughs> how do you know this? Like, what what happened that led you to this epiphany? Like, you know, there was literally, like, the, the daughter who, by the way, provides the voiceover narration. I guess that's the tip of the cap to the nine-year-old. I don't know. Like, appears in two scenes in the, like, act one, appears in this last scene, and, you know, that's pretty much it. Like, there's no engagement with the character. Again, it, it just... It's an exasperating film in that way. All right. Well, speaking of exasperating, Dan. Oh, yes. Yes. Anna? Is there IR in it? 
Anna, I'm turning the clock back to 1945. And that clock says, yes, there is some IR in this film, but I'm not going to put much effort into explaining it because, again... (laughs) You're going to put as much effort into it as the film did. Yes, yes. So a few things that the film actually I do think kind of get right, which is the reluctance of the hegemonic power to relinquish autonomy. So the element of the plot is that Deckham does not want the United States to relinquish Dutch Boy to the International Consortium, even though, again, 17 nations involved in this. That does track. In the sense that, you know, much like the creation of the Internet, in terms of governance of the Internet, the U.S. Commerce Department has traditionally had control over it. And it's been slowly reluctant to sort of turn that over to an international consortium. It makes sense that the hegemonic power wants to preserve autonomy for itself. I'm not saying it's a, a good thing. I'm just saying, yeah, that that tracks with sort of basic IR theory. So, Human nature. Also. Yeah, Exactly. Um, also, we've talked about this concept before, but the notion of weaponized interdependence, they literally talk about weaponizing Dutch Boy, which, by the way, like, any idiot would have it would have occurred to them that this possibly could have happened. So, you know, the idea, again, is a testament to the stupidity of this film, the notion that they're all surprised by this shows how bad everyone is at their job, both in the film and the making of the film. But yes... If you create a network of satellites surrounding the globe and there's just one choke point that can control that satellite, if you control that choke point, hey, guess what? You've got some coercive power. You know who might be surprised by the ability to turn a weather machine into a weapon? Uh, A nine-year-old? Yeah, okay. There we go. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Nine-year-old might find that like, oh, wow, that's a twist. Yeah, which, you know, again, that's the... You know what? I'm, no, that's it. I'm not going to talk about any more IR in this film. I, I've given, okay. I've given enough. I, I can't devote any more energy to this. It's so bad. Um, you know, like it, it's this sort of bland IR of like, oh yeah, we'll just have you know a few characters from other countries, but like we have no idea how the ICSS is actually run. Jake appears to be really bad at running it, and again, they take pains to point out how bad he is at this. Like even though he's only been away for three years, he doesn't know what's on the station. It's just weird. It's and he's so just, weird. Again, he's just a dick. Yeah. Like, he just is unpleasant to be with. Right. And so I would not want to be trapped on a space station with him. No. I would be first in those shuttles, man, when they, like, <laughs> escape. I'd, like, you, you, yeah, you stay with the self-destruct. You. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, Anna, I have a question yes, for you. Yes, Dan. Yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this film? Dan... <laughs> When I ask myself whether I want to find a critique of capitalism in this film, it's kind of like going on a roller coaster or getting Chipotle. <laughs> I do, and I don't. That was actually, so I, it, I think it's time to give a shout out to the only actor yeah. that I think actually redeems themselves in this film, which is, is it Zazie Beetz? I think is yes. her name. Um, yeah. Who And that is an actual line. It was the one actually like partially well-written Intentionally line. funny. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She's delightful. Mm-hmm. She's apparently, she's beamed in from a different movie, you know, but actually, you know what? That's the problem. She's not. She is in the appropriate register for this movie. Right. If everyone everyone else is not. was doing their role the way that she does, yeah. this would be a good movie. Yes. Because she's having a great time. She is. Like, I, none I, of what she says makes sense, really, <laughs> although that line is very that good. That line is good. She's just there for the ride, you know? I honestly kind of wonder. I I think she's actually a really good actress, so I'm assuming this is acting, but there's a small part of me that wonders whether or not she ingested some edibles before each scene, because that would also explain (laughs) what was going on. 
She is very chill. Yeah. It is true. Yes. She's very Extremely chill. Well done. The one sort of overt critique of capitalism there is in this movie, Dan, mm-hmm. is that scientists are not paid enough. <laughs> Knowledge work is work. That's right. Knowledge is a work product. The British scientist, like, sold his soul. You're right. I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 And then the other thing I want to say, and this is just has to do with commerce, really, more than capitalism. Was this movie sponsored by Hollow Form? So that's the one, like, tech thing where, like, they yeah. all have, like, these... I, and they mention it. They call it that. They're like, yeah. get your holoform. Right. Let me look at my holoform. It's like it's a weird product placement for a product that doesn't exist, which yeah. is capitalism, I guess, there, actually there right there. Go. Woohoo, boom. <laughs> done. Well done. Done. Well done. <laughs> nicely, nicely executed. Anna. All right, Dan, moving on. All right, now, Dan. Yes, Anna? discordant notes (laughs) which are the comments and questions we get from the discord which i think we forgot to mention that that's like the the probably greatest benefit of being a patron is that you get to be a part of our amazing discord that's true and it's it really is it's been wonderful lively fun this is where we've been workshopping the merch uh we had a lot of uh good conversations or we had a lot of conversations on election (laughs) night (laughs) i'm good but so Billy West in space mm-hmm. asks, which is worse, this or the day after tomorrow? It's Geostorm and it's not close on him. And by the way, I did not like day after tomorrow, but like yeah. it, it's yeah, citizen so it, goddamn Kane compared to this film. Yeah. yeah. People who follow uh, this podcast will know I genuinely like day after tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So it's an easy question for me. Mm-hmm. All right, Dan, people really were interested in the AI or of this film actually mm-hmm. sounds yeah. like yeah. Uh, what po- this is josh f mm-hmm. what portion of the military spending of nato should be spent on researching and creating a weather control device <laughs> yes and then executive otaku says mm-hmm. does a weather control device fall under things like international arms control so i'm going to answer the second one first they don't right now and that's actually a source of some controversy because when you talk about geoengineering which is a real thing and there's debates about whether or not to combat climate change, geoengineering should take place. You know, there's some question about, well, who has the right to engage in geoengineering? And, you know, the, the law here is not clear at all. Although, again, one of the problems with this film is that it clearly seems to think that climate change satellites are like nuclear weapons. And that's not how it works. Um, <laughs> we forgot to talk. This is yeah. something that bothered both of us. Yes, and we forgot yes. to mention Go it. Go ahead, Adam. Yeah. Which is... In addition to displaying self-destruct sequence complete or whatever, the computer counts down to the geostorm. <laughs> time to geostorm. Time to geostorm. Which, Ten minutes. Time to geostorm. Five minutes. That's like, not that's how not storms, not how storms, storms work. work. Nope. Nope. <laughs> and you know, neither of us are meteorologists, Anna. So like we're, we're venturing a little bit outside our area of expertise, <laughs> but I'm pretty confident that we're right about this. Uh, I I am as well. And to answer the question on whether the portion of military spending of data should be spent on researching this, I'm going to give two-part answer to this. The first is no, that should not be what we do. But second, mostly that question gives me an opportunity to point out that this film is less coherent than the G.I. Joe weather dominator arc that occurs in the 80s which is just highly much so much more entertaining in that sense than this film. But like, essentially you're asking, should we build a weather dominator? And I'm going to say no. 
This gives me a chance to mention something I truly like and truly edifying piece of culture, mm-hmm. which is Elizabeth Colbert's book, Under a White Sky. Have you read that, Dan? Uh, I know about it, and I've, I've, but no, I haven't read it. Yeah. It is about the unintended consequences of trying to prevent climate change. Right. It's incredibly depressing. Yeah. <laughs> But I guess edifying is the same is is still a good word. I mean, you learn a lot. I think we do need to know what the consequences of trying to fuck with Mother Nature are. Yeah. And she has a, a lot in there about geoengineering mm-hmm. and the possible outcomes. Uh, and one of them being the Snowpiercer <laughs> yeah. scenario. Right. Which I asked her if she'd ever seen the movie. She was actually, I, I interviewed her and she was delightful, but she does not watch science fiction. Oh, <laughs> she was like, Snowpiercer, I know about it, but what? That's too bad. Um, oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, her answer was kind of like, I deal with enough depressing shit as it is. Well, we will get to Snowpiercer with cold respect, sci-fi winter. Respect so, to Elizabeth yeah. Colbert. Yeah. Like, her job is not fun. No, no, no I, I don't blame her for that. I do have an ire question about along these lines. Yes. If you built Dutch Boy yeah. and you could control the weather, yes, like why would you stop at just preventing bad weather? Like why wouldn't you just make all the weather everywhere really nice? Ooh, I guess it's not really IR, but it's politics. I guess. Like, I mean, I was my first thought, having just lived through a drought. So it raises an interesting question in terms of the politics of this. Like, you know, would you be? Would you have to ensure, like, on July Fourth in the United States, it's going to be sunny everywhere? You know, not going to rain there or so forth. Like, and also there has to be rain sometimes, right? Right, Into every, yeah, yeah, <laughs> into every exactly. life, a little rain must fall. Right. And so, like, do people, like, lobby for, like, oh, not, no, not this day. We need to have a parade. We have our parade. I you would, know, I mean, the, like, you know, that it's one of the myriad ways in which if you think really <laughs> hard about this film, you realize you're an idiot. Does it stand up to scrutiny? Thinking, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. I think it's a uh, That was just my thought. It was, like, why not just make it 75 degrees and sunny everywhere in the world? <laughs> But yep. we have another section, Dan. We do. Because this is butler Vember. we have to get to the Butler ratings. Uh, yep. So let's start with the Butler-Glower score. So this is from uh, a 1, which is how he appeared in Reign of Fire, to a 10, which is how he appeared in Gamer. Um, I'm going to give him a 9 on this one. He, I, I think maybe he cracks a smile at the end of the movie, but otherwise that's it. You know, he... <sighs> I think it's a little, I think I might go with an eight okay. because there are the scenes with his daughter. That's true. That's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not like, like in Gamer, he is really like, there is like. Oh, he's incredibly dour n- in Gamer. No place where yeah. he breaks a character or not breaks character, but, but breaks out into, you don't see his teeth very yes. often. He's not, he's, he's, re- he's unrelentingly grim in Gamer. Whereas he's unrelentingly here, grim. That's there's good. occasionally a, a, he's just a yeah. dick in this one. <laughs> like, I don't know it. Like, I just keep saying that, but it's almost like you're it's less of a glower than, you're, you, than just like being an asshole. Anna, your repetitive dialogue. It, it's almost like you're, you're auditioning for to write Geostorm too. That's all I'm just thinking. <laughs> Geostorm two, the Geostorming. <laughs> And then we have the Butler Shouter score, which goes from Rain uh, of Fire. Are we just are we just saying that Rain of Fire is his like most restrained role? It's his best role, I think, at this point. It's really good. It really he's it really he's legitimately is. good in that. And I mean, he I guess he's good in three hundred as well. So, you know. Yeah. So and yeah. then that is the other end of yeah. the shouter score. Yeah. Yeah. From Rain of Fire to three hundred. Yes. I mean, does here's my does being a dick count as shouting? <laughs> I don't think it does. I, again, like on the shouter score, I think he's like maybe a five. 
on this. He yeah, doesn't, I agree. He doesn't he's actually just, shout that much. Yeah. He's just unpleasant. No, like he's exactly. just not. He just does un- unpleasant stuff, which is like shouting, but worse maybe yeah it's like passive aggressiveness yeah it doesn't mean he's good it just means he doesn't shout yeah right and then there's the butler gratuitous violence score (laughs) which goes from uh it goes from a a one of like the ugly truth i think we we was the example to a 10 of i guess 300 again yes yeah oh i know i know i'm gonna say it's it's not high it's maybe like a six Mm -hmm. but the scene where he starts wailing on the brit yeah i was yeah that was that was some gratuitous violence. He yeah. doesn't know that that guy's the turncoat. <laughs> like, no, he's he's reached that conclusion, and he's been wrong every step of the way up until that point. So when I, I like again, because I had forgotten the plot of this movie, the, when I see him wailing on the Brit guy, he's like, "Are you sure you're right about this this time?" And then it turns out I, he does. So yeah, I was hopeful. Like it would be a better movie if mm-hmm. it turned out he was wrong. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yes. But it's because it, it would fit in also with the character. But that is, is also, by the way, the only violence that Gerard Butler actually engages in in the film, I believe. Like, this film has lots of, it's got a massive death count, but it's not actually. It's not person on person It's not person on person violence, yeah. It's no, it's planet on person violence. Right, right. Yeah. Yes. So, do we want to talk just a little more specifically about how this misses being good, bad in a kind of tragic way? Yeah, it's disappointing because I was expecting to enjoy this a little more than I did in terms of reveling in the badness. And it's just bad, bad, mostly. Again, it it does reach somewhat ludicrous levels in the last, I think, 20 minutes. I did, again, I laughed at the shot of the Burj Khalifa, like, looking like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. That was legitimately funny to me. But again, I think it's just, it's bad, bad because it's lazy and because no one seems to care. Yeah. I mean, we... One of my big criteria mm-hmm. for the good bad is taking a big swing and being and buying into it, right. you know, just like being dedicated to the bit. Yeah. And this doesn't feel like that. This feels lazy yeah. and half ass. I guess lazy and half ass are the same. But no, not really. Not no. really exactly the same. No, this is lazy. But the other thing there are movies that are, that are again, so bad they're laugh out loud and funny. And again, Moonfall, I think, falls under that category. But for it to work, there actually has to be some energy or some conviction in terms of, of the actors. And there isn't in this film. Like, I, I think the best example of this would be at the end when Deckham is finally confronted by the president. It is the worst dialogue between the two of them. And, like, Deckham says, how did you manage to do this? And, and Andy Garcia says, because I'm the goddamn president of the United States. And I'm like... Oh. It was like a non sequitur. Yeah. It was like, what does that mean? Also, in that same scene, I, right. I, I have like 10 pages of notes <laughs> on this movie, and they're all just stupid. Yeah. Like, it's just not worth it. I mean, but in that same scene, like, they have De- Deckham, like, all like he's going to get arrested, his arms are behind his back, and like, he says, I've given you an opportunity, Mr. President, which, by the way, is, I thought you were going to talk about this because it is like the most interesting I, thing in the movie. Yeah, I saw that. And like, you know, again, Where he says, I've given you an opportunity to set the clock back right. to 1945 when America was more than like a bank account with no, a national uh, anthem or something like that. Yeah, there's like it's like the one time like clearly like they were, that was their political statement. That was when they actually yeah. got into politics. Like, you know, it, 
when we were a country rather than a ba- you know just a, a bank or something i think it's a bank account with a flag or something yeah like that. yeah like yeah, he's yeah. It's, it's kind of a good line it is but, a half decent line but, but what happens in that scene though is that he's given you, i've given you opportunity uh, mr president and and the president turns around and says what and then like, he starts to explain himself and the right. president's like let him go yeah oh that's right yes yes <laughs> so that he yeah, can explain no himself sense. using his hands right yeah like yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not that he's not under arrest anymore. It's just like the president wanted him to be able to like just take. Give me your best pitch. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, that was again part of the problem is is that it, I, I didn't want to talk about it because it's not earned. It's just yeah. You know, it's just so yeah. stupid. And also, like let me put this way, War Games I think handles this much better. Where you know, there's a moment where they realize, oh my god, we might have to go through this thing because we can't stop the the launch, and so we might as well go preemptively and so forth. Oh my god, it's hail! Oh, it's, or or it's fireballs, hail. it's one it's of the two. Enormous <laughs> hail and fireballs and the street is cracking, and I don't think that's a gas line. No, <laughs> that was no gas line. <laughs> it's a debris field. <sighs> this is where we talk about the stuff we haven't already gotten a chance to talk about. We've gone through so much, and again, like there's a part of me that doesn't even care enough yeah. to go through my notes, mm-hmm. but let's do what we feel like we must. Dan. I only really have two things, I think, at this point. The first is... Richard Schiff, you poor bastard, I hope you got paid. Because, like, he's in the first scene of the movie as playing the senator, and all I kept thinking was, whatever you think of Aaron Sorkin, he is a better writer by an order of magnitude than anything that appears in this film. And I kept wondering if, like, Schiff was like, really, I gotta say this stuff? Um, and, again, Mayor Winningham, you're only in this film for a scene. I Maybe you had another plot that you were cut out. I hope you you collected a check as well. That's all I'm gonna say on that. Anna, what about you? I literally, like, I'm going through my notes, and I'm like, is that worth saying? Is that yeah. worth saying? Is that worth saying? Like, there, I laughed at this isn't a Chromebook. Yes. When he's, like, talking go. about yes. the space station being, like, easy to restart There or was something. your plug, and by I, the way. Yeah. Yeah, because this isn't a Chromebook. And I'm like, that's an oddly specific, like, <laughs> laptop to mention. Yep. Yeah. Uh, all right. And then your turn. The only the, again, I did actually kind of like the the president's like nomination or accepting the nomination speech where he says, "United we stand, united we can." That was actually a plausible political slogan. I will give like a a sixteenth of a point to the screenwriter for that. <laughs> and then, like I, I I will just say, I laughed every time "Time to Geostorm" came on the screen, <laughs> which is a lot yes. actually. Yes. <laughs> So again, giving him that, I suppose. Oh, last thing. Yep, please. You gotta love a Brit who's still salty about the Revolutionary War. (laughs) Which I presume is what that guy was being an asshole about. I I mean... (laughs) I think he was just like, I think he was like, oh, you think you're an asshole, Jake? I'm gonna be an even bigger asshole. It was just everyone trying to out-asshole each other in this film. All right, I think that we have... We have done this movie so much of a favor. We have talked about it far more than it deserves. Really, we have. And... All I can say is is that I really hope Greenland lives up to, like, I don't want your expectations to be too high. I think it's a pretty good film. It was a surprisingly interesting <laughs> film, but maybe it's not the best. So, like, I, I want to lower expectations before our next, All right. before the well, closing Butler-Vember episode. Indeed. Indeed. That is what we'll be doing next. Yes. And until then. Keep this channel open for more.